Jeremiah, the third chapter, verse 15. You can read this on the PowerPoint. It is out of the New King James, so if you want to use a pew Bible to look at it, that would be good. The people in the book of Nehemiah stood as Ezra the priest read the word of God in respect to the word of God. God actually lifts up his word above his own name. So we want to reverence it also today. Jeremiah, the third chapter, and verse 15. It says, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Father, we pray today that we would hear from you, not me. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to you. Thank you that we can worship together. Thank you that we know that your Holy Spirit will drive the word of God home and your word never returns void, but it always accomplishes your purpose and pleasure. Help us to grow in faith. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so we can expect our faith to increase right now. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You can be seated, folks. Hopefully everyone got their own individual fan. If somebody is by a fan and they pushed the button and took it off of oscillating uh, mode, you can walk over and talk to them and make sure they put it back on oscillating. It is warm today, but it sure is good to be in God's house and to be with you, and we thank you for inviting us. Once again, I'm slowly learning to put my glasses on. I was singing some words that didn't even exist on the PowerPoint for the songs, and I'm glad the singers just uh, kept rolling with it, because their eyesight is apparently better than mine. The title of the message today is God's Gift to His People, a pastor's heart, or it says, a shepherd's heart, out of Jeremiah 3.15. And God decided to give his people, Israel, pastors, shepherds, who would be able to teach folks knowledge and understanding, but it would have to emerge out of a pastor's heart. So understand, that's what I want to talk to you about. You know, maybe you've heard a sermon like this before, maybe not. I haven't preached a lot of these type sermons, but I want you to know today what I owe you, what you should receive from me uh, as I minister to you and as you consider me. I think there are some things that you should expect to receive from a pastor. We find before verse 15, there were some things going on that were not right. There was sin, there was rebellion, there was recklessness, things going on. And even in verse 14, God says to Israel, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. You know how we always lift up that we are about a relationship and not about religion? 
Nobody gets excited standing, sitting, standing, sitting. I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something. We want to worship God from our hearts and we want to be intimate with him. Billy Graham stated, the most important character of any pastor is a heart for God, a deep desire to live for Christ and to see others come to know him and serve him. Pastors are different. Some you revere and you remember them and you learn from them and you grew from them and they were a blessing to you. Others, not so much. And I have been in churches as just a church member being faithful where I had both kinds of pastors, some that their words stick with me forever, others not so much. But there are also two different kinds of congregations, people that are hungry for the word of God, people that are humble, people who realize the church isn't just about them, it's about we and us and ultimately enhancing the kingdom of heaven. I remember years ago when I went into Bible college, my pastor's name was Ken Armstrong. He was from Texas. He was about 6'4". I think I came up to about his chest. And I remember he taught me missions. He loved missions. He loved foreign missions and homeworks. And he kind of gave me a broken heart for missions. And I learned that if we will honor foreign missionaries and missionaries at home, God will bless our own home base if we're givers and if we're willing to get into the work of missions and caring about souls around the world. Then I had a pastor who's in heaven right now. Before I went to Bible college, his name was Charles Horton, and he taught me about soul winning. He loved winning people to Christ. If he was going to receive an operation, he'd be witnessing while he was on his back in the operating room, trying to lead someone to Christ. So he gave me a burden for souls, for revival, and he gave me a burden and he preached all the time, don't quit. It was kind of funny. He had five thousand don't quit messages, but all with different titles. But I loved them. And he was a great pastor. And he instilled some great things in my heart. People think they understand the position of a pastor, but when God talks about a pastor's heart, only true pastors have a pastor's heart. It is a position where God chooses and calls. I understand business. I've been in business so I can relate to you. I understand families because I have a wife, I have children, I have grandchildren. I can relate to you. But you have to understand, except from what we receive from the Word of God, only pastors understand what it is to have a pastor's heart, even though people in churches would disagree with me, many of them. One pastor who's in heaven, you can see how old I am, all the pastors I know are in heaven. One pastor who's in heaven, he said, you would not rush into the operating room 
where someone was performing brain surgery on someone and demand the scalpel and say, I'll take over from here. I'll finish the operation. You would not do that because you do not have the training and there would be a fatality. Likewise, you would not bang on the cockpit door of a commercial airline and say, I'll land the plane. Move over. You wouldn't do that unless you had that training because you would understand that would end in many fatalities. But I have found in 30 plus years of pastoring, everyone knows how to pastor. Everyone knows how to do it. Everyone knows what should be done, what should not be done. And friends, I want to ask you to have an open heart that having a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart, is a very unique thing. And you will know if you have one. You will know if your pastor has been touched by the Lord and called into the ministry. One of the great tragedies is to have a pastor who has not been called by God. And how many times do men stand behind pulpits and they have not even been born again? And it basically is a vocation. And that is a tragedy. I want to talk to you very quickly about the pastor's heart. How to learn what this pastor's heart is all about. And anyone called of God, I know, believes and feels the same way. So we'll look at it for a moment. The first thing I want to lift up is a pastor's desire for himself and Christians to stand in the awe of God. Friends, are you in awe of God? I pray that you're in awe of God. I want to be in awe of God. I enjoy when God wows me. When God comes through with things that only I knew about. Things that I crawled into my prayer closet and I talked to him privately and personally and bam, it happens. And I'm able to say in my spirit, thank you, Lord. A pastor with a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart, will want you to be awed by God. I want you to be awed by God. I want you to have a sweet relationship with God. I want you to get excited about the things of God. Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, and verse 17. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 17. It says, For the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. We're about a relationship. We're not about religion. I want you to stand in awe of God. I want you to fall more in love with God. I want you to obtain greater faith because faith is a gift. I want you to obtain greater wisdom because wisdom is a gift that comes from God. I want you to be well balanced in the fruits of the Spirit to be able to deal with each other in a Christ-like manner. God has given each of you at least one gift of the Spirit. I want you to be able to cultivate that and use that and serve God according 
to giftedness. Hey, we all have wickedness in high places in our life, right? If you have an unsaved family member, that's wickedness in high places that you want to see pulled down. We see things in our town, in our country, that is wickedness in high places. We want to see it pulled down. And we want to have the ability to pray for that and to see that come to fruition. Secondly, a pastor desires to be humble with a teachable spirit. Isaiah, the sixth chapter, verses one through five, is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to read that to you. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And ultimately, God purged and God cleansed his sin so that he would be able to serve God. I always prayed that when I gained a little bit of humility, finally, in my life, a little bit of a teachable spirit, finally, in my life, that I would still be healthy enough to use them. You pray for me. That is my prayer, that if there is some humility and a teachable spirit, it could be used for the glory of God. Understand that Isaiah the prophet came into a situation where a king named Uzziah, a very, very popular king who had ruled Israel from a boy for some 50 years. He was popular, he was famous. He caused Israel to grow in their military, to grow economically, but especially to grow spiritually. He invented things. He was amazing. God gifted him. Suddenly he died. And the people in Israel looked to the right and they looked to the left and they said, what are we going to do now? Well, sometimes we value ourselves too highly. God has many servants and God wants to do great things and God will always find someone to serve him. When Isaiah came on the scene, he saw the Lord high and lifted up while others were looking to the right and the left. God was reminding them, don't look to the right, don't look to the left, you need to look up and realize it's the God of heaven that will work things out. And as Isaiah looked up, he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live 
in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He saw himself in the right way as he viewed the holiness of God. And God cleansed him so that he could be used. If you're taking notes, James 1, 22 and 25 calls the word of God a mirror that we are to gaze into intently so that we do not forget what kind of a person we are. You ever take a fast look in the mirror? Especially ladies, us guys that have no hair, we don't look that long. We expect wherever we go and whenever we get there, we'll look just about the same. But ladies will look in the mirror and they'll go away from the mirror and what do they do when they get somewhere else? They look again and again and again because something might have changed and they want to make sure that they still look okay. God says we look into the Word of God like a mirror too fast and we forget what God is telling us and who we need to be so we need to gaze into it intently. I'm still being humbled by the Lord every day and wanting a teachable spirit. Remember I mentioned Ken Armstrong, the Texan? Scary guy. Six foot four, six foot five. He grows every time I preach the sermon. You know? Um, I went to his church when I went to Bible college and I became his youth pastor very quickly. And I remember I came to my last year of Bible college. I was getting ready to graduate, figure out what I was going to do with my life. And we had something coming up in the church called Roundup Sunday. Only a Texan could come up with that. At our church, which had about 18 acres, we had a bull named Charlie who was in the corral behind the church. When the bus came with the bus kids, the first place the kids ran to was the corral to see Charlie and to pet Charlie's head. On Roundup Sunday, it was a Western day, the pastor would come down the hill from the parsonage on a horse with a cowboy hat, dressed really sharp looking like a slick looking cowboy off a of gun smoke, you know, and he'd come down the hill. We would all dress up in cowboy outfits, cowgirl outfits, frontier teachers, circuit riding pastors. We would all dress up and we would invite anybody and everybody and we'd have a big day, a big shindig, a barbecue. Well, about a week before Roundup Sunday, I got an opportunity to preach somewhere. I was a student. I was looking for God's will for my life. I wasn't sure I was staying at Temple, so about 8 o'clock at night I call up Pastor Armstrong. He wasn't home, he was out visiting. I got his wife, who was just a sweetheart, knowledgeable, strong. I said, Mrs. Armstrong, I have an opportunity to preach somewhere. You know I'm graduating soon, I'd like to take that opportunity. She went, oh, I don't know, Gary. I don't know if Pastor's going to like that. And I'm thinking, why not? This is about me. This is my opportunity. This is my moment. I didn't say that to her, but I was thinking that. She said, I'll have him call you later on. I said, okay. Well, he was a night owl. He would be up studying the Word of God till 2 in the morning and sleep till noon. I would go to sleep early and be up 5 o'clock in the morning. Well, at midnight, he called me. 
And I said, oh, pastor, I said, give me a second to clear my head. I was sleeping. He didn't wait for me to clear my head. He said, Pastor Gary. I said, yes. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? I'm like, uh, what pastor? This is Roundup Sunday coming up. It's our big day. You're my youth pastor. You have a big youth group. Are you nuts? He must have said, are you nuts, five times. Now, you know, sometimes we get kind of defensive and we get mad. I don't like your tone. I don't like the way you're talking to me. I don't think you should be saying that to me, but I want to tell you what happened. The Spirit of God rested on me, and while he yelled at me, I thought to myself, he's right. I'm wrong. It doesn't matter how he's talking to me. That's his personality, and I loved him anyway. What he's saying is truth, and God is speaking through him, and I need to listen to what he's saying and not get my feelings hurt. And I can be an emotional guy. That's usually a blessing to me. But in that case, it almost wasn't. Listen, folks, we want to be humbled. We want to have a teachable spirit. How can we thwart the purposes of God because it's all about us? And we're self-absorbed, and it's I and me rather than we and us. A pastor desires to be humble with a teachable spirit. Thirdly, a pastor desires to be tender and a protector. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul reminded the church at Thessalonica what was their method when they spoke to them and reached them for the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. I love verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You know a pastor is supposed to be tender? A pastor, one of the things he has to learn, he has to deal with many personalities. I have some people, if I look at them the wrong way, they think I'm mad at them. I have other people, I could yell at them and they'd say, what? Or they'd ignore me. It would have no effect on them. But I have to look at the one who's tender, the one who's sensitive, 
the one who gets their feelings hurt, and I've got to love them. I am responsible before the God of heaven that I evaluate a personality and I say to myself, I've got to say this different to her or to him because I've gotten to know them. And if I'm here, folks, I will get to know you and I will know what I can say, what I can't say, and how to say it so that you see a tenderness because I do want to be tender and I do want to be a pastor with a shepherd's heart. I also want to protect you. A pastor is an under-shepherd. I watch when people come through the door, especially if I don't know them. I'm not wowed by their depth of knowledge of the scriptures and say, oh wow, we should all follow him. I have had people come into our church that know the Bible through and through and they want a job, but they won't join the church. That doesn't make sense to me. I want to protect us from people who are seeking to draw us away and give us something that's other than the plan which God has given in the Word of God. You know what makes you tender? When I look at you and I realize, hey, we're joint heirs of glory. You have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in you that I have dwelling in me. Amen? Almighty God says in his mind we're already seated in the heavenlies together. That ought to mean something to me when I look at you. You might be yelling at me, you might be being rude, but I got to get by that and in my heart of hearts say, I love this person and I've got to pursue with them. And trust me, I know when to get hard when it's appropriate. But listen, let's be tender. Let's love each other. The Bible talks about us doing good things, especially to the household of faith. If a pastor is tender, you know where you'll see it? He'll be gracious. He'll be gentle. He'll be patient. He'll be understanding. And he will be hopeful that you will be all that you desire to be for God. This isn't just about me. If you're floundering and I'm not giving you any help and you're not growing, that ought to break my heart. Amen? I really believe that. I'm not somebody who usually fishes for amen, so I apologize. But folks, I want you to make it. I want you to be successful. I want you to have exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. A full dose of God's grace and God's mercy. The fourth thing, a pastor desires to offer rest. Are you tired? Physically? Emotionally? Spiritually? A pastor can offer rest by what he offers from the Word of God and through prayer. I want you to have peace and a vision. I love Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30. Isn't it great to know you don't have to fight the battle, but the battle is the Lord's. And we can give it to him. We can deposit it at the foot of the cross. How many things have we tried to carry because we are controlling in nature? I'm controlling in nature. It's hard for me sometimes just to sit still and let God do what God does best. Lead. I just need to humble myself and have a teachable spirit. 
Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Christ said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's a much lighter burden when you allow Jesus to carry it, and you allow Christ to fight your battles for you. I want you to have vision. We know without vision, people perish. Amen? I want you to have vision for your families, for your neighbors, for your co-workers, and have a boldness to do something for the cause of Christ. I want to be able to equip you and train you for the work of the ministry. Folks, do you know why I witness and I try to win people to the Lord? Because I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. And some people sit back and wait until the pastor fills the church. We all need to do the work of an evangelist and reach out and love people, no matter what your temperament. Even if you're shy, I joke with people in our church and I'm like, throw a track onto somebody's desk and run. Just do something to get the attention of someone and let them know that you care. Friends, Gehazi, who was a servant to the prophet Elisha, he needed vision. And Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open because he saw the Syrian army coming and he said, Master, what will we do? Elisha simply said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And when his eyes were opened, he saw the great armies of God, the flaming chariots, all around the mountain. And Elisha said, Son, or Gehazi, there are more for us than there are for them. I get a chill up my spine when I read that. That's great stuff. I drive home with some muscular guardian angels on the hood of my car. Somebody today said to me, I prayed for you today that you'd have the mightiest angels guarding over you. But you know, they're already assigned to me and it's a full-time job. I keep them hopping. I really do, but I thank God for them. One more point, folks. The fifth thing, a pastor desires to instill friendship and confidence. A lot about friendship in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 18 and verse 24. I'm going to take a chance to read it off of my PowerPoint here. Make sure it doesn't get real tiny on me. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I believe that's Jesus. He sticks closer than a brother. Aren't you glad that you have a friend called Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's all-knowing. He knows what you're going to say before you say it, so you can't fake him out. He knows what he wants you to do. He knows how he wants you to change. He wants to work with your perception and your feelings and your control issues because he loves you. 
and he is your friend. A couple of verses, if you're taking notes about friendship, Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, talks about the wounds of a friend. I'm just going to mention that. When a friend has enough boldness to come up to you, look you in the eye, and say, i got to talk to you. There's something going on that's hurting you. You're not acting right. You're not yourself. Don't you think that's a vulnerable position for the one who's confronting? And yet the wounds of a friend are special. They're, being, they're taking a great risk in talking to you about something. I've had times my feelings have been hurt, but then I think about it and I'm like, they were right, I need to go back and thank them for being bold. Sometimes I want to give the wounds of a friend, but please always remember, I'm your friend and I care about you and I believe with all my heart that God has given me a pastor's heart. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend or a brother was born for the day of adversity. Do you realize one of the reasons I was born into this world was to be your friend? It took a while for us to come together, but one of the reasons you were born was to be my friend, to stand up for me, for me to stand up for you, and I will. But that's one of the reasons we've been born into this world. I think it's so cool. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't even know each other. Isn't that a miracle? Because of the Son of God, we know each other. I like Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. It says, two are better than one. Because if one falls down, ever fall down? And I'm not talking about physically for all of you who are nursing an injured hip. I had my hip replaced a little while ago. I'm talking about emotionally taking a fall and needing to be lifted up by a friend. Two are better than one. If one is cold, the other one will be there to render warmth. In closing, you knew this was coming. What a pastor hopes for from God's people. And I won't preach a sermon on each one of them. I'll just let them develop in your own heart and mind I would like to see a we and an us mentality. This church is not any one person's church. This belongs to God. This is the heritage of God. We are not to lord ourselves over God's heritage. We are to lead, not drive people gently so that they can become all that they need to be in the Lord. We're simply stewards. We're governors to be faithful with what God has given. My prayer for the church is to embrace your giftedness and serve God. You're not going to like this next part. At any age. I meet people all the time. They say, you should have seen me in the 80s. I was a ball of fire for Jesus. Let somebody else do it now. Folks, in the Bible, it seems to me I see some great servants of God who are 80 and older. And if you've got humility and a teachable spirit and you have love for people, serve God. Do all you can. We know that energy is limited, but what you have, use it.
The Bible says the commandments of God are not grievous. Hey, we'll wear ourselves out watching reruns on TV. I'd rather wear myself out for Jesus and be used by Almighty God. Folks, my prayer for you is that you be faithful. Be faithful to the house of God. A pastor has to smile. He has to be friendly about it. He doesn't want to offend anybody. But Jesus died for this place. We ought to honor it. And for any of you who think I'm a little off the deep end, I'm not. Guess what I'm all for? Vacations. Take your vacations. God bless you. You need them. You get sick sometimes. Everybody gets sick sometimes. I'm talking about if we're not around all the time. Or we're hit, miss, hit, miss, hit, miss. Hey, listen. A pastor cannot be the only one encouraging people. I have people come up to me sometimes and they say, such and such called me, they prayed with me. It was more of a blessing than when you do it, pastor, because it wasn't me doing it. We come to church to minister to others. Also, I'd like to see you exercising unconditional love. We're going to have quite a crew that come through here. Needy people. Hurting people. Maybe people beneath addictions. I noticed that you support the Providence Rescue Mission. We love those folks. And we minister to them also. We want to do some things for them. We don't want to look at how they're dressed or smell or what they say or if they talk at a turn. I've never had a problem with WWJD, what will Jesus do? My problem is WWWD. What will we do? Jesus always received people. Barnabas looked at the church of Antioch and he saw the grace of God. You know his advice to the church? Cleave to the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. It's wonderful. Be a giver of time and money and talent. We need all three. Have a teachable spirit and humility. If you're taking notes, one final verse, Hebrews 13, 17. This scares the life out of me. Every pastor will have to give an account for the people he's pastored. I don't know how God's going to do that when we've gone to different churches. You know, I mean, I have an awful lot of people to stand up and give an answer for. Some of the churches have been large, some of them medium, some of them small, but I think I'm going to have to stand and give an account for everyone I pastored at that particular time in that church. So I want to really have a pastor's heart and nurture it so I can do the right things. And God says when he gives an account, might he be able to do it with joy? Because if he can't do it with joy, that's unprofitable for you. Yeah, Lord, they served the Lord, but oh, what a struggle it was. It was a fight every Sunday to give an account with joy. What a sweetheart. What a great man of God. They had their limitations, but they did all they could for the cause of Christ. Folks, I want you to be proud of your pastor. I do. 
I want you to be able to say, I have no reservation inviting anybody to my church. I'm excited. I'm thrilled to do it. I want you to be proud of me, proud of your church, proud of each other because of the way we demonstrate the spirit of Almighty God. So I owe you some things, and you can call me on them if you feel like I'm not being those things, because we owe. We're debtors. We have received what we do not deserve, and we should give our all for Jesus. Let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you that we could be here today. And Father, there's nothing that special about us except Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you look at us as precious and beloved. And you love us unconditionally. And we don't always understand why, but we thank you that you do. It's amazing. And Lord, we want to serve you. And Lord, we know as we serve you that you will bless us. It's not always in our timing. It's not always the way we think. Sometimes you even change our desires. But we know you'll bless the person who puts you first. Help us to do that. Thank you for the hands that have been raised. And Father, might we live our life for you. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you more. We want to love you in a way that you deserve to be loved. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.